Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Hi, Dr. Cohen. Hi, Lauren. Are we live? We are live. We're live with Gross Anatomy Podcast. (laughs) Did you want to do it today? No, I wanted you to do it. We're live with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I'm Lauren Taylor, and joined with the host, my friend, Dr. Jason Cohen. Hello. So what are we doing today? What I wanted to talk about today was Biogen's new Alzheimer's drug that was recently approved by the FDA, but that sparked a lot of debate. I don't know that much about it. So you, you enlighten me. I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about it. Well, there was a lot of debate about it because uh, scientists are saying that there's not enough data to prove that it actually works. Because when I read about it, I originally thought like, yes, you should just approve it. Like give anybody hope because nothing has come out for like almost 20 years. Since 2003, there hasn't been a drug for this disease. And Alzheimer's is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Wow. So I'm pretty sure the numbers just keep going up. So of course people would want it. So anyways, I was going to ask you what you thought about a drug being given FDA. It's called accelerated approval pathway, meaning that they feel like there is clinical benefit, but they're not sure there's clinical benefit. So the drug company still has to do a phase four trial to confirm. Right. But now doctors can give out this drug. So as a doctor, if you had a patient with Alzheimer's, would you recommend this drug? Or how would you handle it? So um, there, there are a few issues about it. You know, one thing that we've learned, especially because of COVID, is accelerated approval of drugs, and in this case, vaccines. Because That's of, a great point. I didn't yeah, think about that. Because of need. So the vaccine that we're taking is only uh, accelerated approval. It's not, it didn't get full FDA approval. I forget the exact term that's used, but that's an example of there was a need, enough safety or enough trials, and the decision was made, let's do temporary or emergency approval. I forget the term again that's used. So there's that. Then there's also something called compassionate use that is done in cancer patients And other patients, I guess, like Alzheimer's patients and maybe patients with ALS with severe debilitating diseases where there's really not much hope left for these people. What's the harm to some degree? Let's let's at least try these medicines, certainly inform the people getting the medicine that it's not totally approved and not totally tested. But the, the downside of not getting it is even worse to some degree. So I think I think there's a value. I think there's a role for it as long as the people taking it know, you know, just like the vaccine. I think it's a very similar thing. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And I willingly got the vaccine. The only thing with that is the vaccine was free. So I guess like this drug Uh people like tens of thousands of dollars, but, but it's their life. Right. So if they want to pay for that and there's just like, even a minimal chance that it can slow down this disease and that's what they want to do with their money, then I get it. But insurance, insurance won't cover it. Well, that, that was the counter argument is like, why would you tell people to take this drug if it does, it's not proven to be effective and they're wasting their life savings. But I, I I don't know. You know, interestingly, there's, there's a doctor, uh, I think a UCLA doctor who's pretty well known, who's written a book uh, 
the name of the doctor is Dale Bredesen, Dale Bredesen, who's written a book and talked about his trials and experiences in patients with Alzheimer's, how he really feels to some degree uh, prevented and even reversed cognitive decline. That, that's kind of, the name of the book is The End of Alzheimer's, The First Program to Prevent and Reverse Cognitive Decline. And it's, it's, and each patient is different. He certainly has his, uh, he, he has his things that he recommends for people. That's very important that you really adhere to with people with Alzheimer's, but it, reading the book, it almost sounds like, Oh, he's, he's cured Alzheimer's to some degree or not cured it, but certainly helped people with symptoms. And, and I certainly think that it's, it's Wait. interesting reading. Sorry. Wait, what did he just like, is it a pill or is it just like, no, it's, it's, it's lifestyle. It's vitamins. It's, it's certain, it, it's checking someone's entire blood panel and seeing where they may be deficient. And then it's certainly recommending certain things that you kind of, that seem like no brainers, making sure you get a certain enough sleep, making sure you eat a certain way in a certain time, making sure zinc, I think is part, taking zinc is one of the things that he believes is very helpful for memory. And then it's also taking this based on your blood type and all your blood work, getting this regimen of how you eat and what vitamins and pills and supplements to take. And you read this book and he talks about different case studies and it's really interesting and it's very compelling. And it's just a, a lot, a lot of it makes sense. You know, we, a lot of people don't sleep enough. A lot, a lot of people don't keep their brains active enough. And not a, a lot of people maybe don't have good enough vitamins, exercise, right. all of those things that are kind of no brainer things uh, he believes are strongly important. And then all the other stuff that he does. So it's interesting to read, especially having, I had my grandmother, my mother's mother had Alzheimer's and it was, it was very, it was hard to watch. You know, she was, she went, not immediately, but she went from being this amazing, sharp woman who was a great cook, who I, who I remember one day I was at her apartment. She lived in the same building as we did upstairs. And I went into her apartment and she used to, she was a great cook and she made great matzo ball soup. And I went up there and I had her matzo ball soup and it was awful. And I think she just like forgot, like, I didn't say anything, but, you know, I think she had just forgotten, you know, kind of the beginning of, of what was happening with her and she had just forgotten. And then it got to the point where she actually forgot how to sit. Like, I remember her getting in a car. She couldn't, she didn't even know how to sit in a car. And it was, it, it was so sad. Luckily, you know, different people with Alzheimer's deal with and respond to, their dementia differently. Luckily, you know, some people get angry, some people get violent, some people get depressed. We were really lucky for whatever reason. My grandmother got giddy and happy. So she was like this silly, cute child. She was childlike. And we were really fortunate in that because sometimes you hear patients get violent and, but it's, has it affected anyone in your family? Have you seen it? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've definitely seen it. And I've seen, uh, I've heard of people that experience more of the violent side of it. But going back to what you said about that book, it was interesting. Someone that was in the trial of this drug was 
one of the placebo people and he assumed he wasn't because he was actually getting better. It was like slowing down. I mean, I don't think that no one thought they were cured, but it was, was, the disease seemed to be slowing and he received the placebo and he thinks that what it was, was because of his cholesterol. Like he got his diet, he got his cholesterol down, he got his diet right. Like, and so maybe there is some truth to this book and like doing those certain things. Yeah. I, you know, Certainly, I don't think I'm, you know, because of my grandmother, I was worried for a while. There's a certain gene, this gene called the APOE gene that is known to be linked to Alzheimer's. And, and I did 23andMe. We talk about genetic testing all the time. And that was one of the genes that was tested. And I was so grateful that I, that at least per 23andMe, I tested negative for that gene. But some years ago, I started feeling that I was having some slowing in, in cognitive um, abilities. And that was before I started, that was before I went plant-based and it was before I made sure to start exercising fairly regularly. And unfortunately, lately I haven't been as doing a longer workout. I'm still pretty much doing workouts just, it's been closer to only 30 to 45 minutes a day, rather than at one point I was trying to get over an hour. Mm. Um, but that cognitive slowing that I thought I was having definitely got better when I switched to being, and I don't know if it's related, but I don't feel that cognitive decline anymore. Uh, it, it, all of that fear and concern, like I was having trouble recalling people's names even to some degree. It was weird. I, I was really stressed about it. That's gone. And, and I don't know if it's exercise. I don't know if it's being plant-based combination. I'm certainly not sleeping enough. Yes. Uh, I, 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 I wish I wish I were sleeping more. That that's certainly something. I, I saw a post on Instagram that people from from actually a nurse uh, who I know that people need to stop celebrating their lack of sleep. You know their their hard work ethic by not sleeping enough. That's and I agree. I think I think we in America have this, although not so much maybe the millennials, but I think a, a lot of Americans uh, think that. We need to work harder, work harder, work harder. I think the millennials, starting with a guy like Tim Ferriss, who I who I think is amazing, realize that no, we should maybe try to be more like Europe. Yeah, they work harder, take take more time. I think that's certainly a whole millennial thing, which is a good thing from the millennials is work life balance, quality of life. Unfortunately, the profession I chose. Yeah, yeah, not the Tim Ferriss types, but like the self help books. Some girl I read that's like a big influencer. I guess she makes a lot of money. She like promotes like getting up at 4 a.m. Like, you know how tough she is. I guess she's the kind of person that your nurse friend was talking about. Like, let's stop doing this. Like, that doesn't make us a better person. Right. Although then then you read this thing about uh, Michael Jordan, or, or I saw a clip about Michael Jordan, who ex- one of the, he was explaining one of the reasons why he excelled so much at basketball and his reasoning was that all his other teammates were just working out once a day or something. And he got up extra early and did an additional workout every morning. And he said that added up over the years. There's no way he said, I did an extra workout every day compared to everybody else. You know, all my peers were doing two workouts a day. I was doing three. If you want to be the best basketball player in the world, you're going to have to do things no other human being can do. Or the best anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one thing that 
I don't believe in work-life balance. Something always is going to suffer. There, there ha- in order, if you want to be great, if you want to be great at something, something else has to suffer. Yeah. There, there's just no way about it. In order to be truly great, you have to dedicate so much to it. So what else, Dr. Cohen? You had something, another situation you found yourself in that you wanted to discuss with the audience? So the other situation is also kind of interesting. I get a call, a text over the weekend from a friend saying, I'm in the emergency room with appendicitis. And who do you know who could do that surgery? And for a minute, I I was dumbfounded and perplexed because I think the friend knows that I do a lot of that surgery. And then... I'd like to think I'm pretty good at that surgery. I've been doing it for over 20 years or so, 25 years. So I didn't know how to respond. And I kind of waited a little bit, you know, maybe five minutes before I responded. And then finally I thought about it and I said, me, you mm-hmm. know, I, I do that surgery. And, and I was, and then the friend texts me back, says, yeah, they said here in the ER that friends shouldn't treat friends and that, also, what if, God forbid, something went wrong? I'd hate your guts. Oh, gosh. So I thought to myself, okay, that puts me, takes me off the hook. And so then I, you know, but I still feel beholden to the person because the person is my friend. So I'm trying to find yeah. what other surgeons are around. And, and part of me wanted to say to the friend, listen, not, yes, I have an ego, but I, I don't think it's abnormally huge. But I, I felt like I really wanted to say to the friend, you should let me do your surgery right. because I don't think, I, I think you're going to be, I, I don't think there, there are people who could do what I could do, but I think I'm really good at it. I wanted to say that to the patient, but I, but then if something went wrong, you know, that I kind of felt like I was in this whole weird position. Yeah. But, but certainly if it were like my best of best of friends and I were around I would say to them, and it was something like that, that I do a ton of, I would say, you want me doing your surgery. Yeah. This guy was a, is a good friend, but he's not one of my best of best friends. Mm-hmm. So it's just a weird situation. I, I, I wound up letting another surgeon take care who I know, who I, who's a good surgeon, but I clearly doesn't have the experience years or that I've had and certainly hasn't made it, you know, part of what gives someone good experience is unfortunately getting into a lot of trouble and making a lot of mess along the way and learning about that stuff. So I don't know. It, it was a, it's a weird situation. Um, I, yeah. And that's interesting that to even have a doctor friend to ask or a surgeon like you to ask, because I mean, when I had my appendix out, I didn't ask, you know, you just go with whoever's there. I don't even know. I mean, according to all the TV shows, it's, uh, common surgery, but I mean, obviously scary as you get older. Yeah. But in, in the pilot of which was the show, the resident, yeah. the, the surgeon kills the guy because <laughs> while doing an appendicitis. Yeah. Who knows? Uh-huh. I don't know. Nobody knows, but it, it was just a weird situation. But now our friendship is fine, I suppose. But would, would it have been, would I have been a better friend to say, listen, you should have me do the surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, where's my responsibility as the friend? And so it's just a weird dilemma. And I bounced it off a lot of different people. And 
And I was even there at the hospital that day operating on some other emergencies. So it was really, it was a weird situation. I can see where you would feel perplexed, but I don't know. I feel like if he would, he said no, I'd just be like, okay, fine. Right. right. It took me off the hook and I, and, 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 and it, it made it better. But the truth is that made it worse for me because, because the person said no, I felt like, even though I think the person would be better off with me, now I certainly can't save me because now the person introduced the fact of what if something goes wrong, like kind of put bad humors. Yeah, exactly. In. I wouldn't want any part of that. I hope my friend doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, I hope, I hope the friend does listen to the podcast because it'll be interesting to hear once the friend is better, what, how the experience went and, and in hindsight, what, what, you know, my, you know, it'd be interesting to hear the, for the friend to hear my perspective on the whole thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like there was more involved in his thoughts than we know too. Yeah. What's interesting is years ago, a family member of mine needed surgery and, and I had the family member of mine get operated on actually two surgeries at two different times. I had, I had that family member get operated on by my mentor and I assisted on both the surgeries because my, my mentor, I was that, I was my mentor's assistant. So I was assisting on both those operations and just kind of interesting. And, and, and I think it was the right move because I thought he and I were the best combination for both of those operations. So, so is there an actual line? Like if, you know, something happened to your wife, do you operate or they just sit at the hospital's like, no. Or it's your choice. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, there, there definitely must be some rules about that. Um, maybe immediate family. But, but then again, like what if, what if someone needs brain surgery uh-huh. and the, the best brain surgeon is the world, in the world is the, is the relative of this patient? Do you go to the second best or do you, or do you have the best do it? I think it should be up to the surgeon because I mean I think they're assuming that they can't handle the pressure, but you guys have you deal with pressure every day. Yeah. Well, all right, that's it for this episode. Dr. Cron has to take off, but look for his posts on our Instagram page from his mini getaway to Africa that he's taking with his family, and we'll talk about that trip more when he returns. Thanks for listening. Please email us at grossanatomypodcast at gmail or message us on Instagram. And let us know any thoughts you have on future episodes or tell us about a TV show or movie you're watching that you think we should check out and talk about on a future podcast. Okay. All right, cool. Bye, Bye, Lauren. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.